turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 2. Something I've learned very quickly growing up at home, especially on Saturdays, is I should never, ever say the words, I'm bored. Those of you who are laughing must have had the same learning experience I had. Uh, If I ever said that at home on a Saturday especially, then my parents always had the quick cure for my boredom. I said, well, good. We've got just the thing for you. And that usually resulted in the rest of the day me working in the yard or working in the house. And it didn't take but maybe twice in my life for me to say, I'm never going to say I'm bored again. Uh, well, uh, it's interesting. I, as I think about that, that still stays with me. And if I ever thought crosses my mind, this is boring. Then I quickly restructure my thinking to understand that if something's boring, the fault is with me. It's not someone else's fault. It's not someone else's job to entertain me. It is my job to occupy myself. Uh, boredom is really our own problem. Something's wrong in our own heart. There's no inner resource from which we can draw on. We're depending on something outside, some person, some activity uh, that's going on. Uh, and it indicates that the real lack is right here in me. Well, when we read Colossians, you get the sense that there must have been people in this area, in this church, that were starting to say something like, I'm getting bored with Christ. I'm getting bored with this Christian faith, with following Jesus. I'm getting bored with church. And so Paul has never met them. He himself is in prison uh, for his faith. And uh, knows of the believers in this region, not only Colossae, but Laodicea and some of this area, the valley around. And so he writes this letter because he's hearing reports that there are some who are coming into the church and they're kind of preaching this or teaching this uh, sophisticated version of the Christian faith where it involves logic and reason and, and, and it's sounding real enlightening, but it, the effect of it is it's taking people away from Christ. And it sounds so appealing. So Paul is, is writing to them, and the primary point is right in the very prayer in chapter 1, where he says, I wish that you would have the divine power of Christ in you. That you would learn to depend on this strength of Christ. And so we had chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, this powerful hymn of who Christ is that we focused on uh, during the Christmas season. Uh, and it's one of the most powerful passages you'll ever find speaking to the identity of christ and then last week we talked about what christ or what paul suffered to make sure that they were maturing in christ that they were making disciples and we talked about how we are lifting up christ from the mass and how that's done uh, by suffering for christ by making disciples for christ by depending on the power of christ And so in chapter 2, he's going to talk a little bit more about how we lift up Christ from the Mass, how we depend on Christ. And in fact, in chapter 2, he gives us some warnings of what to avoid to keep from uh, being deluded in our faith in Christ. And so 
What I want us to do is we're going to read this together. And you have to keep in mind as we read chapter 2, verse 1, there was no chapter 2, verse 1, when the original readers was reading uh, the letter for Colossae. And so I think it would probably be helpful for us if we read, begin with chapter 1, verse 29, and we'll go through verse 7 of chapter 2 as we stand and read this together. You read silently as I read aloud uh, in honor of God's word. And he's going to give us a couple of clues of what it means to live in Christ. In fact, let's read verse 28. Referring to Jesus, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, and whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You may be seated. Looking at verse 28, you see his goal is to present everyone mature in Christ. It is for this reason he's struggling. He's toiling. He's working with the power that God works in him. And he wants them to know how much he's struggling for them. <laughs> That's never good when someone says that to you, isn't it? Writes a letter, you've never met him, said, man, I've been struggling so much for you. I want you to know that. And you think, well, okay, what are you about to ask of me? Uh, and so here's, that's his point. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you. And he says that you will be encouraged. My struggle, my toil is for your encouragement. Here's, here's the lesson. We're going to make an argument, or Paul's going to make this argument that really goes for verse 1, verse 2, all the way through verse 4, that brings up this one argument. And, and I'm going to summarize it with this one point. And this is, if you want to mature in Christ, you need to know this clue. It takes a church to mature in Christ. It takes a church to mature in Christ. You remember, uh, I believe Hillary Clinton made some similar statement. It took the village to raise a child. We kind of scoffed at that. I thought, well, I, I thought it took parents. Uh, but as I read the scripture here, Paul is making this argument. It takes a church to mature in Christ. Now there's a part of us that may not like that statement. Because we, it won't, we want it to be just God in us. Individuals. God is enough. Christ is enough. We don't, knew, we don't need anyone else. We're self-made. Okay, yeah, I'll depend on God. But outside of that, I want to be self-made. But Paul is bringing out something here. That presents this argument that it takes a church to mature in Christ. So let's follow this argument. Why is he wanting them to know his struggle? Verse 
2, that their hearts may be encouraged. You know, it is an encouraging thing when you see someone struggling on your behalf. I hope that you have had someone struggle on your behalf. There is few things as edifying, as encouraging as that. We had, you know, we went to China uh, this last October, November. One of the dear saints in this church shared with me uh, afterwards. He said, brother, I prayed for you. And I felt like God just pressed it upon my heart that I fasted 10 days in prayer that God would work through your team. Now, you want to talk encouragement? That will encourage the socks off of you. And that's exactly what happened here. And so Paul is just saying, I hope that you have someone struggling on your behalf. I I remember um, one of the deacons of my dad's church. He happened to pray with me when I prayed to make Jesus my Savior and Lord. He was the counselor there. And ever since that point, he's been a deacon in my dad's church. Some of you may know this fellow. Um, he's in the Sunshine Senior Group now. But he made a statement to uh, me and to my dad. And this is years later while I'm in the pastorate. He says, you know, I have prayed every day for your son, referring to me. And I will commit to pray every day. And that will encourage you because you know to pray every day for somebody takes a struggle. Paul is saying, I'm struggling. And I want you to be encouraged because I'm struggling for you. A church is a place where people struggle for one another. For their edification, for being built up. So let's look at how this plays out. He says, I'm praying, I'm working, I'm struggling, I'm writing this letter, I'm in prison, but I'm thinking of you, I'm, I'm, I'm working hard that your hearts may be encouraged. And that word encouraged has a strengthening sense, that you, you'll be strong in your heart, be strong in your thinking. Okay? Why? Well, being knit together in love. Being knit together. I want you to be strong, I want you to be encouraged that you'll be knit Together in love. Christian growth is a group task that involves love for one another. Alright? Now, what is the point of that? Why should a people be knit together in love? Why should they be encouraged? Notice what it says. The, the grammar here is a, is a cause. In other words, in order to reach. Be knit together in order to reach the riches are the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. That seems a lot of words. What does that simply mean? He says, I want you to be knit together so that you will have the full benefit of understanding Christ. What's the mystery of God? This is what it says next, which is Christ. There's something about a church being knit together that helps people understand Fully understand Christ. So, it's not through the Bible studies alone that you learn who Jesus Christ is and understand who He is. It is living life together, being knit together in love, where people can see Christ. uh, C.S. Lewis maybe expressed this in a wonderful way when he talks about the impact of one person on a heart. He talks about when someone that you love dies. Not only do they die... But what they bring out in you dies. 
You see, each person is unique. And they bring out a unique aspect of who you are. Perhaps someone brings out the joking side of you. Someone brings out the prankster side of you. Someone brings out the emotional side of you. Someone brings out the logical side of you or the serious side of you. There's, there's different personalities, and they bring out different parts of who we are. So when they die, not only do they die, but that part they produced or are provoked out of you dies. Does that make sense? Now, apply that to Jesus Christ. Christ works in each one of us. And we are as a kaleidoscope of different personalities and strengths and weaknesses. But each one of them, Christ is working in us to show Jesus. To show Christ. So when I get involved with a group of people who are committed to Christ. Who is unified by covenant of walking with Christ. And I think that is a primary definition of a church, that we covenant together to walk together with Christ. When I see that, and I'm working, I see Christ reflected out of Gary Joyner that I can't see reflected out of myself because he's a different personality. I can see Christ working out of Mr. JT in a different way than working out in my own life. And, and so we can see aspects of who Jesus is through a kaleidoscope of people committed to Jesus Christ. And then you understand Christ better. So have you ever been in a church situation? And for you to be committed to that church, it would require of you to sacrifice. It would require of you to sacrifice something which you feel like you need. For the benefit of maybe the church as a whole, or maybe for some individuals within the church. Have you ever been there? And it seems like, you know what, I go to that church and I'm just giving, and I'm giving, and I'm giving. And it doesn't seem like I'm receiving. Have you ever been there? (laughs) It's okay, no one's going to (laughs) tell. You're telling yourselves we've all been there in different ways. You know what's happening when we're doing that? We are loving. When you put the needs of someone else above your own, when you're sacrificing your needs for someone else, you are loving. And as you love, you're knitting. You're knitting together a strand of love with a body of people. And for whoever has eyes to see in the church at that time, they are seeing Christ because of that. Because they know the sacrifice you're doing, or maybe they receive the benefit of the sacrifice you're doing, they are learning who Christ is by looking at one another. So, just look around. I, I, I challenge us to, to consider who we thank God for. The reason you thank God for them, ultimately, is because you are seeing Christ in them. Demonstrated through their actions, their attitude that's being brought out. The temptation for so many today is that when church gets to the point where it's taken from us more than is giving, then it's time for us to look for another church. I'm just presenting that if that was Paul's case, then he would have missed out on seeing who Christ is. You see, you grow in a church 
Not just because someone's teaching at this time and you understand it and you can apply it. You grow in a church because people are demanding of you. They're demanding of you and you're having to give. And you're having to be polite when they're impolite. And you're having to forgive when they hurt you. You're having to do that. And that is forcing us to say, ah, it's not in me. How am I going to do this? I'm going to work with the power that is being worked in me. Has Christ forgiven me? Has he sacrificed for me? Then let that be the strength of how I work. And guess what happens? You're understanding who Christ is more. God created the family, marriage, and the church. I think one of the things they all have in common is to teach us how to love. And every single one of them can be the source of the greatest pains in your life. Isn't it true that some of the people who can hurt you the worst are the ones with the shame last name? God made that. Sin made it, transformed it. But God's working what sin is doing and making it something good. And so it takes a church to mature in Christ that your hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. You want to know what God is like? Look at Christ. What's Christ like? Look at the people in your church. Is that something? Go down to the nursery and you'll see people who are saying, I want to help out and take care of the children. This is part of my love, part of my worship to God. And we can see Christ there. You can follow Jack and Kate Sullivan. They'll take the flowers and they'll visit someone who will take these flowers and say, this is just an expression of love. This is how we can see Christ at work when someone's doing that. When you see someone leading in music and sacrificing and they're scared to death because they're singing in front of you, but they sing anyway out of worship. It is a way to see Christ as they conquer the fears and say, I love God more than my fear of mankind. There, there is a multitude of ways that we can do that, whether it's caring for one another, it's caring for this, this, this building as a way of saying, I love the people here. This is a myriad of ways. And they all require sacrifice. But it's all worship. When we do it in seeking Christ. So Paul is saying, I'm suffering. I'm tolling, but I'm doing it so that your hearts will be encouraged, that you'll be knit together in love, so that you can reach the benefit, the riches of understanding this mystery of God, which is Christ. That's why when you join a church, you better make sure the church is about Christ. And if you join a church that's about Christ, you better make sure you're about Christ. It is our only common point. It is the foundation of who we are and is to whom we are all going. And so if you have an agenda divorced from Christ, you are out of step with the church as God has made it. And it hurts. And so I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. 
Though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. When we are out of step with the church body, we are susceptible susceptible to plausible arguments. Now, when you say the word plausible, it's logical. It sounds good. One of the most dangerous things in doctrine is to take logical steps from doctrine and make it doctrine. I've seen whole movements that when presented, they sound great. They say, logically, that makes sense. This is a way to be holy before the Lord. I can see the logic there. But when you take logic steps from the gospel and make it truth, you create a heresy. I've seen this in approach with being separate from the world. I've seen this in approaches to counseling and to wisdom where it sounded good and it was logical, but just one logical step away took them from Christ. And so Paul is warning them about that. So, verse 6. Let me tell you the second clue in maturing in Christ. This toying, this working of making disciples for Christ. We need the church. It takes the church to mature in Christ to help us understand who Christ is. But then, verse 6 and 7, which I would encourage you to memorize. It is a powerful statement. It takes Christ daily working with us. To grow. It takes Christ daily working with us to grow. So not only does it take a church uh, to help us mature in Christ, it takes Christ working with us to grow. Alright? With us. Alright? So verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Alright? You remember the day when you received Christ as your Savior and Lord? What were the steps, the things you thought about? You remember, perhaps you were just convicted of your sin. And you had this great need in your heart and life. This, this terrible feeling. And then there was the, the knowledge of Jesus Christ that he's speaking to you. That God is offering forgiveness to you. But you could not re- obtain forgiveness on your own. It had to be God doing it. And that there's a, a surrender to say, Jesus, I need you as my Lord. You remember Romans 10, 9, 10? That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Remember that promise? Just as you receive Christ, so walk in him every day. Live like that. Keep on living like that. And so he describes it, walking in him, rooted, built up, and established in the faith, just as you were taught. Let me ask you, do you have to have Jesus as your Lord to be a Christian? (laughs) It's a tough question, isn't it? Yes and no. Having Jesus as your Lord isn't what makes you a Christian, but it gives evidence that you're a Christian. It is the consequence of God moving in your heart. See, I'm saved by grace, not of law, including the first one, having no other gods before me. I'm not saved by that. I'm saved by grace, working in me. Faith in that. But that law represents the character of God. And when God saves me by His grace... Through faith, he brings his Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, which is the fulfillment of the law. 
and moves it in my heart so that I want to have no other gods before me and that he will be my Lord and King. And so part of the beginning steps is to say, you know, Christ has not been my Lord. God has not been my Lord. He's not been the sinner. And that is the heart of the sin. I repent. I'm asking for forgiveness. God, help my unbelief change who I am. I want to make you Lord. And just as I received Christ, so walk in him. Do you know, it is, in some sense, it is totally appropriate every day of your life to pray the salvation prayer over again. Not because you lost your salvation, but because you are being saved. And just as you receive Christ, so you walk in him. You keep on saying, Christ, I love you. I've sinned. Forgive me of my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising again. And Lord, to the best of my ability, I want to follow you. Will your spirit come into me? Lead me, guide me, direct me, help me walk with you today. How many of us ever pray that God would make us holy? Have you ever prayed that? God, make me holy. Have we ever prayed, God, help me to be faithful to my husband. Help me to be faithful to my wife. Lord, help me to say truth today. Help me to, to not lie. Help me not to gossip. But help me to encourage people today. Help me to walk with integrity. To make that our prayer. Because God is burning our heart for that. So we walk with him. Rooted, built up, and established. Now, there's four participles, which is... A word that ends in I-N-G, okay? But there's something I want you to note. In each one of these, verse 7, walk in him every day, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. Each one of these are passive. What does that mean? That means someone's doing it to you. You're not doing it. It's being done to you. You're receiving it. Every day as you walk in receiving Christ as your Lord, God, through Jesus Christ, is rooting and building you up in Christ. All right? You can take a horticultural view of this, but it's probably more of an architectural idea. God is basing you on a foundation of Jesus Christ. He is building you up on Jesus Christ, and he is establishing you. God is continually and progressively working in my life. And then for all those who walk in Christ, every day, at the end of the day, you can say by faith, God, you have rooted me in Christ. You are building me up in Christ. You are establishing me in Christ. Now, it may be in ways you don't recognize as that. It could be the disappointments. In your life, it could. In fact, it's more often in the pains of your life. It's in the disruptions in your life where God is saying, "I'm going to orchestrate circumstances in your life that you will go to Me and that you will be built up and established, strengthened in who I am." Just know that this is for those who are in Christ. Now, if you are not in Christ and you have a bad day, you just had a bad day. Sorry, no redeeming value. Unless it brings you to Christ. Romans 8.28. God works all things to, to good for those who 
are called according to his purpose who love him. What does that mean? If you're not called according to purpose, if you do not love him, God's not working all things to your good. In fact, I say the opposite. God's working all good things to your, to your ill. But if you're in Christ, God is continually working in your life. So, as we receive Christ and walk in Him, we keep on knowing every day, when you wake up this morning and go to bed, God's rooting me. He's building me up. He's established me. But this last verb phrase is not passive. It's active. In other words, you're doing it. What is it? Abounding in thanksgiving. Being established in our faith just as we were taught. And now we are abounding in thanksgiving. You know how we know when God is at work in someone's life? According to scripture, we know when God is at work in their life when there is thanksgiving in their heart. You thought thanksgiving was just being polite. You know, your mama said, now, what do you say, son? Thank you. This is not a polite deal. This is evidence of God's working in our life. And that is why it's so serious when we find ourselves in a funk where we're just complaining and whining and sulking. Because you cannot do that and thank God at the same time. Have you ever tried? I've tried a couple times. I want to thank you, God, but let me sulk over here. It doesn't work. One will flee. And so if you want to sulk and feel sorry for yourself, Thanksgiving runs away. But it is the evidence of God's working in my life. To know that at the end of the day, that yes, you know what, this, uh, normally I would call a rotten day. Everything worked out bad that I had planned. It didn't go at all according to what I planned. But as I look at the end of the day, I read Colossians uh, chapter 2, and I read verse 7, that God is actually in all these things, rooting me, building me up, established me, uh, uh, in him, you know, God must be doing something that I don't quite get. And I can give thanksgiving to God for that. <laughs> One commentator gave an illustration of someone that was robbed. Uh, and the person responded, well, you know what? I, I, can, I can thank God still. One, I thank God that I was not robbed before. <laughs> it's the first time. I thank God that it didn't take much. Because I didn't have much. I thank God that they didn't kill me. And they just took stuff from me. And I thank God that I was the one robbed and not the one robbing. It's amazing when you have Christ working in your life. There's always something you can be thankful for because God is always at work. I take great confidence in that. When I think, when I consider who I am, my stubborn nature to go bad and sometimes the question is who's going to be more stubborn me or god and scripture says over and over and over again god is unrelenting he is always working and i have courage and comfort to know at the end of the day that i will be who god wants me to be And you can be who God wants you to be because God is at work in your life. He's doing it. And so we are abounding. That word abounding is flowing over the bounds, just like as a fountain or river. And so thanksgiving is to be flowing out of which, over which is normal. You feel unusual when you're giving thanks? 
then that's good. You're probably not thankful enough until you feel strange thanking him that much. It is an overbounding the normal bounds of thanksgiving. So evidently, when we read this, Paul is praying for this. This, in fact, is ultimately the point of being mature in Christ, that we can give thanksgiving to God. It is the ultimate point of all his struggling and making people mature in Christ. It is the, the kind of the climax of all of what's been said so far in these in-order phrases. He says, I, I want you to, to, uh, to know being knit together in love so that you can understand how great Christ is and who Christ is. Uh, and, and so he keeps on going, so that that you will receive Christ and walk in him, so that you will abound in thanksgiving. It is the ultimate guard. I think about Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, or be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall, what? Guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thanksgiving, peace, prayer, Jesus acts as a guard in our heart and life. When we fail in thanksgiving, we are fair game for the enemy. We are fair game for the devil. So, unless the song of thanksgiving is being sung in our hearts... The enemy outside will deceive his way into our soul. And it makes it easy for him. So for your own sake, for your own safety, strive to fill your heart with thanksgiving by thinking of who Christ is. Guard yourself with gratitude. Haven't you seen this? When people get discontent walking from Christ, if you can trace it back, to the very beginning of when did the seed of evil and discontentment from Christ, when did that start? When did it grow? And more chances than not, you will trace it back to the very beginning of ingratitude. They stopped being thankful. You see this in the example of Moses and the people of Israel over and over again. When they stopped being thankful. But you know what? When I read this passage... Paul is just saying, Christ. Remember this Christ we talked about in verse 15? <laughs> the one who is making the invisible God visible? The one who is creator of everything for whom all things exist? You remember this Christ? He's investing in you. He's rooting you in him. He's building you up in him. He's strengthening you in him. Continually. So just as you receive Christ, continue to walk in Him. Because here's the good news. Christ every day wants to walk with you. There's some days I don't want to walk by myself. I've disgusted myself too much. But that never happens to Christ. There's a story. Happening of a story in... uh, couple in Vietnam and this lady was working the streets and there was this young man a a rickshaw driver 
saw this beautiful young lady and just was smitten by her. Knew what she was doing, but was just absolutely struck by her. In fact, would try to maneuver his rickshaw so that he could see where she stood each day outside the hotel. He found her path, and just so he could see her. She was kind of leery of the guy, honestly, because, you know, just kept on being around, looking at her. There was, in this country, a rickshaw race that would always occur. And this young rickshaw driver put it upon his heart. He wanted to win this where he get a cash prize. The government would put it on just to make sure that this would uh, attract the people and that it would not uh, create riots and just get diversion. And so this, this young man entered this rickshaw uh, race and uh, it, was, it was a challenging endurance feat and he wanted to win it and so he did. With great sacrifice, he won the cash prize. And he took that cash prize and bought this beautiful white dress. Gorgeous dress. And then he went and purchased a knight from this young lady. And just presented this dress to her. And said, I want you just to sleep. I bought a night for you. So you can sleep and look beautiful for how you are. So the woman couldn't believe it. Wore this beautiful dress and slept all night. Next morning, he was gone. She was gone. And he would come back to the same corner. Trying to find her. But she was not there. He was concerned. Never did find her at the corner. Eventually did find out where she was and came to her and she was as angry with him. And he said, what have I done wrong? What's the problem? And she said to him, don't you understand? You ruined me. I, after you've done that, can never go back. To work in the streets. You've changed me. With your love. Jesus. Wants to do that. For every single one of us. He loves us. He knows who we are. That we're hostile in mind to him. Alienated from him. He wants to take us. Into his kingdom. The kingdom. Of God. And he says, every day, I want to walk with you. Will you walk with me? Just as you received me from the beginning, keep on walking with me. I'm going to root you in me. I'm going to build you up in me. I'm going to strengthen you in me. And as we walk with our new righteous white robes, because God's called us right, we walk abounding. And thanksgiving. Because that's what people do. Who's been transformed. From darkness. To light. Let's pray.